All right, if you have a Bible, open to the book of John, chapter 20. To John 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Good morning. He is risen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that this wouldn't just be another story, another year that we talk about the resurrection, yet it doesn't transform us or change us. I think a good number of us have the knowledge of what Easter means. I think a good number of us have felt conviction every year as we talk about your resurrection, your death, your ascension. But we really ask for change, God. We really ask for that transformation to happen within us, that this is more than just words on a page, that it is something that affects us and touches our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take a closer look at Mary Magdalene, actually, this morning. Not to take anything away from Jesus, because that's what all of this is about, but I think in doing so, we're going to be able to see Jesus more clearly. Now, Mary Magdalene, she's the first witness to Jesus' resurrection, which may not seem like a big deal to us in 2016, but to the first century church, this is huge. This is a really big deal. Why is that? Because in a Jewish court of law, a woman's testimony is just not accepted. It's not taken as credible. It's not taken as valid. Yet, this is our God. Our God who gives dignity to those who aren't given dignity by people. And you can look at this from just God's history. Because who does he appear to first at the announcement of the good news of Jesus' birth? 
And we look at this, and it's shepherds. And when we look at shepherds, they were considered unclean. They were considered people whose testimony was not credible or valid and not accepted in the Jewish court of law. And so this is our God, a God who gives esteem, a God who gives value to those in society who have been given little or they've been given none. And you look at the people Jesus healed, people who were considered unclean, outcasts, right? Lepers and prostitutes and a hemorrhaging woman and the demon-possessed and tax collectors, Gentiles, the dead, all these people who he touched, who he ministered to. This is just who God is. Something else I find really fascinating about Jesus and letting Mary know this good news first. You'd think that he'd inform his mom first, right? A different Mary, I mean, isn't mom like one of the first people you tell big news to? She is, right? Like when I did well or when I did bad at school, the first person I informed was mom. Like I'm in college and I ace an exam. Like, hey, mom, I, I did really well or I, I failed something. I'm like, mom, I just did really bad. Or that job that I tried so hard to get and I got it. And the first person I call, mom, I got it. I did it. When I first got engaged, mom, I got engaged. And she was like, what? No. Um, or when my children were first born, like I called my mom, mom, it's a girl. And she was like, what? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Jesus doesn't inform Mary, his mom first. It's Mary Magdalene. Like you'd figure out, hey, mom, I raised from the dead. Like, right? So what's up with that? The second call when I have big news, my sister. That's the second call, like, like my sibling, right? And it's not so with Jesus. It wasn't to his mom or to his siblings. Verses 1 and 18 of John chapter 20, the section of scripture we're looking at today, start and ends with Mary Magdalene in the picture. And we're so familiar with the Easter story nowadays in that we've just grown up with this. And we're not surprised or in wonder of this story anymore. So I really want to challenge you to take yourself out of the 21st century mindset just for a moment, one that has jaded us to all the irony in John chapter 20. There's a ton of it in here. And to put yourself in the shoes or the sandals of someone hearing this story for the very first time. Because it's just not how a story would be written if you wanted to write a credible story. You wouldn't write it this way. If you wanted to write a credible story You'd start with credible witnesses. Mary Magdalene's not. And you'd want it to have some semblance of reality in that if you were raised from the dead at this big event, you'd let your family know first, wouldn't you? I mean, that's just kind of the natural progression. At least mom, right? And it's not so. None of this is making any sense. It's all kind of irony. Why is this? It's simply this, because this is how it happened. This is just what happened. And God's credibility doesn't lie in whom we deem to be credible because he gives dignity to those whom we want to take it away from. And he gives it to them. That we're never too far away from God. And the kingdom was made for people who have been labeled far from God. Regarding family, look at Matthew chapter 12. Verses 46 through 50. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, 
who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is really good when it comes to things of God. Why? Because it's not by birthright. You're not birthed into this relationship or this family of God. We all come to God on equal footing. We all have the same opportunity. And we don't inherit a relationship with Jesus. It's all a gift of grace. And this good news of the resurrection is proof that what he said is true. So as someone hearing this resurrection story for the first time, there are odd things that are happening here. First, he appeared to a woman, and it's not his mom, it's just this woman. And he doesn't first appear to Simon Peter, Peter who walked on water, Peter who was the first disciple to tell Jesus, you are the Christ, the the son of the living God. He didn't first appear to John, who proclaimed himself as the one whom Jesus loved. It wasn't who we'd think he'd appear to first. It's just really quite shocking that it's Mary Magdalene. Now why? Why did Jesus first appear to Mary Magdalene? I think this is why. Because this is the gospel. That's the gospel. Mary Magdalene is the epitome of someone for whom the gospel is for. The death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ was precisely for someone like her. The least of these. Someone who started with very little in life, completely transformed by her faith in Jesus. Mary Magdalene is an excellent representation of everyone who needs the cross and needs the empty tomb. And we can all relate to Mary Magdalene in one way or another. For those of us who have been walking with Jesus for a while, we can relate to her. Think about this. Mary Magdalene was a woman in a group of women who helped provide for the needs of Jesus and his disciples. When we look at Jesus' ministry, it's easy to overlook some of those really basic needs of a group of people doing ministry. We don't often think about this. Now, for any of you who have a background in organizing the needs of a group of a dozen or more people, you know it's not easy to coordinate everything needed for, say, a camping trip or a vacation or a mission trip for over a dozen people. And this is with no internet, this is no cell phone, this is no Costco, this is no Amazon, right? This is, like, hard. And if you can't relate to that, maybe a field trip with a class that you were in or even in your own family as you go travel towards things. A lot goes into the basics of traveling with a group of people. You look at food and medicine and transportation, lodging, money, weather, illnesses, all this kind of stuff. And again, we're talking about traveling with all these things that aren't in modern times. Like when my family goes camping, there are only six of us and four young children, and I need to bring Let's just say pots and pans. I need to bring pots and pans. So I need to bring enough pots and pans or pots and pans large enough to cook a meal for all these kids and me and my wife. Can you imagine what Jesus' crew had to bring as they're traveling to feed all these people? There were at least 13 grown men. Imagine that pot. And there were several women amongst them. I mean, that's a huge pot, man. That's a big pot. And that stuff had to be carried everywhere they went. 
And whatever else they needed, they needed to be carried with them. There aren't any convenience stores, right? There's no Target. So Peter, you know, Peter's gluten-free, and John couldn't have dairy, and Judas was a vegan, and all this kind of stuff, right? And all that stuff had to be accounted for. And this wasn't just an overnighter. This wasn't just a two-week excursion. This was three years. So you imagine the amount of effort and energy, financial resources needed to function in this ministry. Mary Magdalene was one of these people who helped make it possible for Jesus to focus on the mission of his ministry. Now, some people have Mary Magdalene confused with the woman who washed Jesus' feet at the Pharisee's house with you know, her tears and her hair and with the ointment, and she was known as a sinner. But that's not Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is found in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Let me read this about Mary Magdalene. It says, Soon afterwards he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. They paid for it themselves. That's who Mary was. She was very involved in this ministry, in this fellowship. And she'd be like many of you who give and serve and fellowship here. Also like many of us in that she wasn't perfect. We're all hopefully progressing to becoming more Christ-like. Hopefully that's the case. And knowing that, there's this story to each one of us. There's a backstory that proves how much each one of us needs God. Mary's no different. Just as many biblical characters are no different, just like you and me, and we're, we're no different. You take a look at 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. This is the story of Naaman. It reads this, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but... He was a leper. And this is like many of us. Like we have all these great things about us, and then there's this but, and then there's this backstory. And before Mary met Jesus, she was this demon possessed woman. Sometimes we can never shake off who we were before. And there are people like this in the Bible. When we think of someone in the New Testament, we think of someone like Judas Iscariot. And when someone thinks of Judas Iscariot, the vast majority of people don't have very good thoughts of him. Rather, they have thoughts of betrayal. And when we look at the Old Testament, you ask any Jew or anyone familiar with the Old Testament, and you just throw this name out, Jeroboam. And what do they think about? Instantly, Jeroboam is associated with sin and how he made Israel to sin. Instantly. Because you look at First and Second Kings, that very phrase, made Israel to sin, is attributed to Jeroboam 22 times. And that's just his label. That's just Judas's label. Now some of us may have labels that aren't easily shaken. And this may have been Mary Magdalene because the way Mary Magdalene was distinguished from other Marys was that she was the Mary from whom seven demons had gone out. That's her description. And people have a picture of what a demon-possessed 
person looks like. We sure do in our media. We sure do in our modern times, in our movies. Like if I mention demon-possessed woman, the first picture that comes into my mind at least is the picture of Linda Blair in The Exorcist. Like that's what comes to mind for me, right? And I see a lot of like nodding heads, but if you're like younger, you're like, what's that movie? Like, that's like a, it was in 73, it's a really old movie, and I don't like my aunts for taking me to that when I was like a little kid. But people had these pictures of what a demon-possessed person looked like even in the Old Testament, and we get an idea of this in Luke chapter 8 when they met a demon-possessed man in the country of the Gerasenes. Someone who was just out of their mind, someone who was not civilized, someone who had no self-control and was tormented physically, mentally, and spiritually. But when this man meets Jesus in Luke chapter 8, verse 35, it tells us, then people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Isn't it just really peculiar that people would be afraid to see such a change in a person because of Jesus? You would think that they'd be elated. They'd be happy. But they're so used to seeing someone the way that they see them. And they start thinking that the abnormal is normal. I wonder if Mary Magdalene felt normal because of Jesus. But others didn't perceive her to be so that she sat at Jesus' feet in her right mind and people were afraid because they knew who she once was. And now that he's gone, what does that mean for her? Because Jesus was her security. He was her savior. He delivered her from this state of hopelessness. But isn't this every single one of us? We've all been in this place where we once were without him. But in our found relationship with Jesus, we know that we can't go back. Yet we do, don't we? We always kind of go back. What makes us so insecure, even though we have a relationship with Jesus? Why does our past haunt us so much? And I think this is a way that we can relate to Mary Magdalene because all of us have this sin in our life. And even though we have a relationship with Jesus, sometimes our sin comes back to haunt us. And we think about that person we used to be, reminding us of who we once were, of what we are capable of, of breaking away from something that has put us in bondage just to find out that it is still attached to us and we can't easily break from it. At the death of Jesus, I wonder if Mary Magdalene's past came flooding back to her. It just came flooding back because when he was with her, she was fine. She was on mission. She was providing for the ministry. She was helping. But now that Jesus is gone, what does any of it mean anymore? He's gone. Was she truly delivered? Was she truly set free from her past? Because he's gone. How many of you are living a lie? It's just not consistent with what you proclaim and how you are living. What looks one way on the outside is just completely different from what's really going on on the inside. And here at this time is this reality check for Mary. To be consistent with 
who she was proclaiming to be for the previous three years, and now Jesus' death, and trying to figure out if that person that she is proclaiming to be on the outside is truly who she is on the inside. And now she's just completely vulnerable with whom she thought she had become with Jesus. But now that he's gone, who is she really? Who is she? Completely exposed. Completely making herself vulnerable and transparent to ask herself, who am I really? Why did Mary come to the tomb early while it was still dark? And I think this is a really beautiful picture of what Jesus had already did for her. See, Jesus already called her out of the darkness. Right when he cast out those seven demons out of her, he called her out of the darkness. And here was a picture of her going to the tomb when it was still dark to have the light of day pierce through the darkness when we seek Jesus. And it calls to question who we believe our God to be. Who or what has our loyalties to the extent that Mary exercised this? When you're invited and identifying who or what your God is, who has delivered you. And so we see that Mary went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She was looking for Jesus. Jesus freed her from bondage a few years ago, and she experienced freedom. Jesus transformed her, and she followed him for it, followed him all the way to the tomb, And when she couldn't find him there, she stood weeping outside the tomb because she couldn't fully comprehend God's plan. She didn't fully understand the gospel. And when the church observes the Passion Week of Christ, some have quite this solemn week until Resurrection Sunday. But the truth of the matter is that the morning of Resurrection Sunday was quite solemn as well. It's not a celebratory day. Let's look at Luke chapter 24, right? The two guys walking from the Emmaus Road, one of them being Cleopas. They are described as looking sad in verse 17, Luke 24. And we see that Mary was sad as well that morning. So she goes back to the tomb a second time that day. Now, why did she go back later that day? Now, maybe some of you have experienced this. When you go to a gravesite of a loved one and you go there to talk, to express your sadness, to express your pain, and and you just go to the gravesite to grieve and to share your heart with that person. Now, there's no doubt that Mary was grieving. She wept outside the tomb, and she wept there, and, and she stooped to look into the tomb. Now, pick up in verse 11 of John 20. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look inside the tomb, And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. I don't know for you, but it seems pretty heartless to me to ask a grieving woman outside of a tomb, why are you weeping, right? Duh. What do you mean, why am I? Yet this is the very question the angels asked, and this is the very question 
that Jesus asked Mary, and it's pretty obvious why she's weeping. Like, but the thing is, like, what else do you expect them to say? What else do you expect them to ask? I mean, the angels could have said, hello, can you hear me? <laughs> like, and I guess Jesus could have said, like, hello, it's me. Or, hello from the other side. Like, hello from the outside. They could have said things like that. But Mary went to the tomb weeping because she doesn't fully get it. She doesn't fully comprehend the gospel. Now, this is not a judgment on Mary at all because none of the disciples get it. And I think if you and I were there, we wouldn't get it either. None of us would fully get it if we were there. And Jesus said to the guys on the Emmaus Road in Luke 24, verses 25 and 26, And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? See, without Jesus' death, there would be no forgiveness of sins. Without his resurrection, there would be no victory over that death for the forgiveness of sins. This is just the way God's plan was to redeem us of our sins, which keeps us separated from God and in bondage to sin. And so this is the way that all of that's broken and that we're set free. And she couldn't fully comprehend the gospel until this happened. And she heard about this gospel a lot. She heard about this good news a lot. She was with Jesus for three years. These disciples didn't get it. None of them got it. And it didn't click until Easter Sunday. And maybe this is you. You've heard the gospel over and over again. You can even share it. You can even share the gospel with people outside these church walls. But it hasn't clicked. It hasn't clicked inside for you. you you've been coming to church for a while. Maybe you've been here more than three years. More than Mary has been following Jesus. More than what Mary had, but it still hasn't fully connected for you. And maybe you've been around Christianity a long time. You've been around the church for a long time, your whole life. But you still don't fully get it. And you get it in your mind, but it hasn't connected to your soul. And for a long time, you've read the Bible. You've served. You've given. You've done everything a Christian is supposed to do. But to be honest, Jesus is still really blurry to you. The gospel, the good news of the gospel is still really cloudy for you and if you were to be honest with yourself you may find that you don't really understand the gospel at all you just don't get it isn't that a really scary thought that you've invested so much of your life to doing christian stuff for so long but you really don't know what it's about that it's just stuck in story form. It's stuck in the pages of your Bible, and it hasn't made it out of those pages to transform your understanding of the gospel, and something is just off spiritually for you. It's just not connected. Perhaps the reason you don't love him with your whole being or trust him with your life and enjoy Jesus and live for Jesus is because you're just simply too dependent on yourself. And that you think you're smart enough, you think you're brave enough, you think you're courageous enough, you think you're strong enough, when the reality is you're still in bondage to sin in your life. And it's not that you don't want to love Jesus, it's simply that you just can't. 
You and I have met a lot of people who love Jesus, even those who don't follow him, even those who don't claim to be a Christian. We've met people that love Jesus. They love who he is. They love what he stands for. They love the way that he lived his life. People love Jesus. I think what people don't like is the church and his followers, but I've met very few people that don't like or love Jesus. They want to be more like him. A lot of them do, but they can't. Why? Why can't people be like Jesus? Well, there's this element of faith that's in there. And faith requires us to let go. The Christian lingo is to die to ourselves. But I think that can be scary to someone who doesn't understand what that fully means outside of Christian circles. But we are to let go. We are to let go of our lives in faith and leaving it in the hands of God. We can't trust him if we don't let go. And we can conjure up all the energy, all of our effort, and all of our willpower and go out living for God in our own strength. But how has that worked for each one of you? That you just keep trying harder. And yet you still feel disconnected. Now speaking for myself, I've done a lot of things that I try to do it more. Like trying to be more disciplined or wake up earlier or study harder or pray longer. And I try to do all these things on my own power. It works for a little while, but after a while, it, out of my own strength, it's just not working that well. Now, if you and I can beat sin because of how much effort we put in and how much willpower we have and, and just putting in a lot of effort and energy, then we don't need Jesus, do we? We don't need him. But the simple fact is, is that we can't. No one can do enough. And so like Mary... She followed Jesus for those three years, and she didn't really get it. And maybe she went back to thinking about her past, of who she used to be, and Jesus delivered her from that. But now that he's gone, now what? Where does she go from here? And she goes back to the only place that she knows. She goes back to Jesus out of her own power, even though she thought she'd just be going to a gravesite. Here's the thing about Mary. She is a very capable woman. She helped provide for Jesus' ministry. She's a very capable woman. Jesus did this for her. Jesus delivered her from demon possession, and she served in ministry with him. So Jesus was very real to her. Capable, Jesus is very real, but still the gospel didn't fully click for her. So even being as smart as she was and as strong as she was, even experiencing Jesus in such a real way, she still doesn't get the full gospel. She doesn't fully grasp it until she goes back to the tomb. And there, it clicked for her. She got it. She was the first person to ever commune, to know, to trust, to cling to the risen Jesus. Now how did all of this happen for her? How did all of this finally click for her to where she finally got it? You look back to John chapter 20, verse 14 and 15. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And I would say this is a lot of people. This is a lot of people in our world. People looking for Jesus when all the while he is right in front of us. He's right in front of us. Now, verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, 
Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now, looking at this situation in its context, it makes complete sense for Mary to suppose Jesus was the gardener. Think about this. Jesus was a bloodied, bruised corpse that was laid in the tomb a few days ago. So this lifeless body was wrapped in linen with myrrh, aloes, and spices, 75 pounds of it according to John chapter 19. And so when we get to John chapter 20 verse 5, the linen clothes were lying there. Now picking up at the second sentence of verse 6, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths but folded in a place by itself. And so outside of the tomb is this guy who is fully clothed. Not with the linens, not with the 75 pounds of spices. And he's a completely physically healthy man. No wound on his side, no like scars on his forehead, no like piercing marks on his ankles and wrists. None of that stuff. That man being Jesus is just not a possibility in her mind outside of the tomb. Because this guy's like talking. And there's no blood and there's no bruises and he's fully talking. It's just completely out of context of what she experienced the last several days. Now, what changed everything? What made Mary understand the gospel completely? It's one word. It's one simple word from Jesus. And it's this. Mary. Mary. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 24 through 27. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now look at the beginning of that chapter, chapter 10, starting in verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus called Mary by name, and she knew his voice, and it finally clicked. She got it. Everything that he said over those past three years, every promise that he made over those past three years, she got it. She understood them to be true. The promise of her being freed from her bondage, never to go back into the darkness, forever was true. She would be with him forevermore. You and I have heard these arguments from people asking about, like, why would I ever want to live forever? Everlasting life has no appeal to them. Why would someone want everlasting life? And people have many reasons as to why or why not they want it or not want it. But for the follower of Jesus, it's really quite simple as to why we want everlasting life. We hear him call us by name. He says your name. And we follow him because we hear his voice. It's really that simple. Now back to John chapter 10, verse 27, and this time let's also read verse 28. 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. We can do all the church things that we want. We can go to church all we want, and we're capable of that thing that Mary was capable of too. Right? We can experience a really rich church life, a really good life with Jesus, serving him, serving our church, experiencing good things. Maybe he has delivered us from dark places. Jesus delivered people from dark places who gave him no further regard. And maybe this is you. In Luke 17, there were these 10 lepers who were cleansed of their leprosy, but only one goes back praising God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now picking up at verse 17 of Luke 17, Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found in return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. See, Not everyone who is capable, not everyone who has experienced an act of God in their life end up following God. It is only the ones who hear his voice, that they hear their name, that they know his voice, and they follow him. Aren't you tired of playing church? You just come to Sunday and you come do these things and you give and you serve and you serve the outcasts of people like the homeless or the refugees and you do all these other things. And there's just not a lot of stake to doing all of that because your soul is at stake. And while your soul is at stake, we really need to put all the churchiness aside. We need to put all the religious stuff aside. Let's put aside what you're capable of. Because Mary was capable of a lot, and she did a lot. Let's put aside how you've experienced God in the past. Because Mary experienced God in really rich ways in the past. She was delivered from seven demons. Because Mary did all that stuff. She was very capable. She experienced God in a very rich way. Which is much more than what we've done. How many of us have done more ministry-wise than Mary Magdalene? How many of us have experienced God in such a real way that we've been delivered from seven demons? This is a lady that has experienced a lot, who she's capable of a lot. So she has all of that. But she still didn't understand the gospel in its entirety? Isn't that scary? And it's not until she encounters the risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus who called her by name. And she heard his voice. Here's the thing. You can do everything that you're capable of for the church. You can experience some awesome things, some spiritual gifts, some awesome deliverance. But have you heard him call you by name? That's the differentiator. Have you heard him call you by name? This morning... Do you hear Jesus calling you by name? Because you can have all those other things, but if you don't hear that, that's a really scary place to be. 
And that is what has truly brought people over these last 2,000 years to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's not something they conjure up themselves. It's not Easter brunches and getting dressed up fancy and doing all that stuff. The joy of Easter Sunday is in hearing Jesus call your name. Call your name. For you and I to be known by the risen Jesus. To be known by him. Not all the stuff that you're doing, but simply to be called by name, to be known by him. And then there's something that you have to do after that. After you hear him, after you know that he knows you, you have to follow him. Here's the thing. He's right in front of you. Some of us may mistake him for a gardener because it's out of context. But he's right in front of you calling you by name, calling you out of darkness. And what you need to do is follow. He's there for you. Let's pray. Lord, I fear for the church. I fear that a lot of it is cultural. I fear, Lord, that we have been jaded, that we have cheapened the gospel and the good news to be confused that it's all about things that we are doing for your church, serving your kingdom, things that we're very capable of, just like Mary was capable of. Confuse that because we have experienced you in a real way, like amazing things like being delivered from seven demons, that you have miraculously and supernaturally touched our lives. But the thing is, God, we're still really far from you because we still don't recognize when you call us by name and you know us and we don't acknowledge that. Father, I pray for a sensitivity for each person here to hear your voice. And God, as people hear their name from you, would they humble themselves to serve you not out of their own ability but simply because you know them and they are being obedient and following you. God, the simplicity of it all. We can work so hard to serve you like Mary did for those three years. We can experience you in such real ways, but yet, God, to be called by name from the resurrected Christ, that's it. It's not all on us. It's just simply your grace. Thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.